So the series we're working through is the good life with Jesus. What does the good life look like? How do we find it? And if we find it, how do we keep it? And I've been asking myself this a lot in the past year or two. If you remember, I preached and shared with you all last April about my experience with depression and working to ground myself and my value in who Christ created me to be. And I would say today is a continuation of that story, a bit farther down the path. We're going to look at two Bible passages this morning, and I'm going to do my best to weave in some stories from my past year, as it was a transformative one for me, and how I think God is directing us to seek after him and experience this good life. So first, let's look at one of Jesus' more famous sayings provided in Matthew 5-6, and then we'll read a story from the Bible that I think illustrates this verse and aligns with my experience of what Jesus is talking about. So let's look at Matthew 5, 6. It should be in your bulletin, and it is behind me on the screen. It states, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does this mean? I'd like to look at one particular story this morning to get into the meaning of this verse and what it can mean for our lives. So let's read the story of Lydia provided in Acts 16, 9 through 15. Let's start at verse 9. And I'm sorry, my version may be a little different than yours, but it should be pretty similar. So verse 9, we begin. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrake, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Let's take a look at Lydia for a moment in the setting here. First, Paul and his companions must have known that certain people gathered to worship God at a particular place in Philippi. In fact, in a city with less than 10 Jewish men, they would have an informal place uh, for prayer instead of a synagogue, usually by pure water for cleansing rituals. So this explains how Paul and his companions found an established location for worship in Philippi. This was the meeting place for Jews to worship. So Lydia, likely a Jew, either by her heritage or by conversion, was there to worship. I find Lydia to be really interesting. As a woman, it's really refreshing to see an economically independent, strong woman in that culture, and especially see how followers of Jesus interact with her. Unlike when we read about Jesus conversing with the Samaritan woman at the well, where Jesus' disciples returned and were flabbergasted that Jesus was conversing with a Samaritan woman, significantly because she was a woman, Um, here Paul and his friends begin to speak with the women directly. And I'm not sure if this is culture or because of Lydia's status, 
But here there seems to be no discomfort with the fact that Lydia is a woman. And it says Lydia was a woman from the city of Thyatira, which was a city known for its indigo trade. Some say because of the qualities of its water. John says she might be an indigo girl. (laughs) 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 So here's Lydia. If you know my husband, you know why. That's funny. Um, So here's Lydia, a successful businesswoman and merchant with a sizable home and with enough resources, it says later in, in Acts, to accommodate all of the believers in Philippi. So Lydia's doing well for herself, and yet she recognizes her need to worship God. Verse 14 says Lydia was a worshiper of God. Some versions say she was a true worship, a true worshiper, excuse me, and she listened to Paul with special interest. So what I find interesting about Lydia is that even though she had favor, she had fortune, she recognized her need for something else. Here, her need to worship God. And what I conclude from this and what I take from it for my life is that we long to be filled and that favor and fortune do not fill us. Lydia had some status in her culture, and yet she recognized her need to worship. She recognized a need in her life, even though she had favor. I've shared with you a few times now about the depression I was suffering from about a year ago. And much of it stemmed from my work as a lawyer. (laughs) And as I reflected on my depression, I felt even worse as I realized I really had nothing to be depressed about. I had a good job a loving and supporting husband, a beautiful daughter, uh, a home, family and friends that support me. What did I have to be depressed about? Speaking from experience, this just further depresses you. (laughs) You feel depressed and then you feel worse when you realize you have no reason to really be depressed. Um, You know, so many people have it so much worse and have suffered and have gone through really horrible things. How can I feel this way? Well, first of all, I think that's crap. Depression is depression, and it strikes whenever and to whomever it wants. It doesn't discriminate. But another realization I have come to is this, that no matter how perfect life is, no matter how much money, how many friends, even how much love you have, it will never be enough. John and Olivia are not enough for me. My friends are not enough for me. My home, my job, my identity in my job, it's not enough. And when the rubber hits the road, these things will never fulfill me. There is a space inside of me that those human interactions and emotions and affirmations never seem to touch. A restlessness that I sensed in the quiet, a sort of emptiness, and this while most things in my life were going well. Pascal, the famous philosopher and mathematician, wrote in the 1600s, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. This resonates with me. That empty print and trace doesn't match up perfectly with John or Olivia or in my identity, in my career, in my life. And no matter how hard I try to jam those things in there and convince myself and others that those things are enough, 
There came a moment for me that they, in fact, are not and cannot and, in fact, should not be enough. So I'm not sure how to share the following with you without feeling really vulnerable, so I'm warning you up front. Um, I have an easier time sharing the fact that I've gone through depression and suffered in that space than what I'm about to admit to you. But here it goes. I've had a lot of favor in my life. Huge reveal, right? Um, but I really have. I have experienced favor in big and small ways. Life has been really generous to me. Things usually work out, and I generally have gotten what I want in life. And I don't say this lightly, actually. <laughs> I've watched people I love not get those things, and that's really hard for me. But eventually, most things work out for me. I wanted a marriage and a love life that felt deep and romantic and fun and spontaneous, and I got it, and then some. We've had our ups and downs, but I can honestly say my marriage is one of the true greatest joys of my life. And I know so many people where that's not the case, and not for lack of trying. And I feel guilty when people tell me that they envy my marriage. I wanted to get pregnant, and we couldn't, and we didn't for 10 months. But then we did. And our pregnancy went generally smoothly, and we have a beautiful daughter. On a career front, I got lucky my first year of law school, and my dean recommended me for a job with a federal judge, which propelled me into a pathway of success that changed the course of my professional life to a job that was very prestigious and enviable. And my most recent job change, I just struck the lottery on this one. I mean, I couldn't have crafted a better fit for me. It was totally a God thing. And I shared about that with you guys a few weeks ago. But I know people were envious of me. They told me. <laughs> and I had very little control or, on the in, or input on the reasons for why I got that job. And I know some of you are going to say, you worked really hard for each of those things. You were patient. And you were faithful. And you are right. I worked really, really hard. And I work really hard at my job, at my relationships. Generally, I work really hard in my life. I'm intentional. But I cannot divine the, uh, de deny divine providence and favor that my life has had. I know it's there because I feel it. And I'm not really sure why I'm on the receiving end. And I often feel guilty for that. And I realize this isn't how it goes for everyone, even in my life. And I don't have a great answer for why. And yet, and here is the kicker, with all of the favor, with all of the good things, I still found myself depressed and alone and questioning my identity more than I ever have a year ago. And when I finally got to that place, that's when I felt it. I finally felt what was deep inside, a deep craving, a hunger for something, someone who could fill that place. And I don't know how to help you feel this or experience this, but I want to. And if you can get to a place where you can sit with yourself and realize that no matter what circumstances you have in your life, good or bad, that, you, that all you really want is God, like really want him, then everything else will settle in around that fact, that absolute truth of God filling that place. And he's not meant to bulldoze all of those other things out. In fact, he sweetens them. He is the perfect match for that empty print and trace in your soul. And he unlocks and holds all of those other things in harmony 
great harmony with one another. All of this, it all led to being pointed back to God for me, back to the simple and powerful truth that I need him, that life is nothing without him and everything with him, that life has never been so sweet than those moments where I taste what I've been thirsting for. And now that I've had a taste, I want more. I really do. And I think that's the beauty of the message of this verse in Matthew and of Lydia, of this very practical reference to our human hunger and thirst. We long to be filled. Matthew 5, 6 says we will be filled when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness? I know there are a lot of interpretations of this concept of righteousness, but I think at its simplest, it is just the setting right of things that things are finally as they should be. We yearn for things to be set right. It is right relationship with God, and it is right relationship with people. Things being right in the world, in our world. And I can say that I honestly hunger for that. Right relationships with my people, right relationship with God. Righteousness is the nature of God. But righteousness is not right or appropriate behavior. And I think that's where the idea of righteousness often gets confused. One commentator wrote it like this. One of the things that blinds people to a true understanding of righteousness is confusion about how we become right in the sight of God. It's commonly thought that our actions are the determining factor in God's judgment of our righteousness. But that's not true. There is a relationship between our actions and our right standing with God, but right relationship with God produces actions, not the other way around. That is to say, we are not made righteous by what we do. I'm just going to say that again. We are not made righteous by what we do. Religion has always preached that if we clean up our actions, our hearts will become clean too. Jesus taught just the opposite. It is through a changed heart that our actions change. The heart is the issue. And actions are only an indication of what is in our hearts. Actions are the fruit that the heart produces. So hungering and thirsting for righteousness is yearning for that right relationship with God. Hungering and thirsting for him to change our heart, to make it right, that things are as they should be. And from there, the emptiness we experience can finally be filled. So what I conclude from all of this is that we long to be filled. That favor or good things or even other things will not fill that place. That we actually long for righteousness. That things be set right in the world, including that right relationship with God. And my hope is that my stories of where I've come from can encourage you wherever you are in your journey. I was ashamed of my faith for such a long time. I still don't even like to self-identify as a Christian with all the baggage that that word carries. But I do like Jesus. And I feel like God has been trying to get me to see that maybe if I can admit where I've been and the feelings that I've experienced and the longing that I've felt, that it would offer encouragement and hope to others. That if I can recognize my need and longing to be filled and admit it and admit it to you and others, that I really like Jesus, well, then maybe you can too. And maybe if we could all be a bit more honest about what we lack, where we fail, where we feel empty, what we long for, we can work together to move forward to a more full life. 
the good life I think so many of us are seeking. So let's look at Lydia again. We've discussed our need to be filled, and we recognize that fortune, favor, and whatever else we try to jam in that place will never meet that need, that hunger. But my second point is even more encouraging. (laughs) When we seek God, when we hunger and thirst for him, he actually responds, and he fills us. God is involved in this process. Look at verse 14. It states that Lydia was listening to what Paul was saying and that God opened her heart to respond. Another version states that the Lord opened her heart to take in the message with enthusiasm. I just want to point out, I don't really read this verse as God meddling with Lydia's heart or manipulating her. I see it more as if God is helping Lydia be enlightened to a new level of understanding of himself, like peeling another layer of the onion off so she she could go deeper with God. Remember that it stated that Lydia was a true worshiper of God. And I read that to mean she was sincere in her worship and it connected with what God was doing. But God was there and he opened up a next level for Lydia to connect with what Paul was saying. And she had a soft heart to hear it and receive it and receive it with enthusiasm. Here, Paul and his companions found Lydia and other women gathered at a prearranged meeting place for Jews to worship. Lydia knew to be there, and she got the chance to go deeper, peel another layer back, and discover God in a new way. For us, I think this just means we have to keep showing up, keep seeking God, keep hungering and thirsting, recognize the cravings for what they are. We want to go deeper. We want to live authentically. We want to be known and be filled. And we need to recognize that God is putting the building blocks today for the foundation that you'll stand on tomorrow. Things take time, but no part of this process is wasted. But that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt and suck royally sometimes. Let me tell you, in fact, it does hurt and it sucks and it makes you uncomfortable and angry and cranky. And for me, the last year has been transformative, but it was super, super painful at first. Being a lawyer, working where I used to work, was really hard. Not only intellectually and academically, but interpersonally, internally, emotionally, physically. At my lowest, there were tears. I lost weight. I lost sleep. I suffered anxiety. And at my worst, I fantasized that bad things would happen to me so I wouldn't have to go to work. I shared in April that I was a hot mess, and I was. Late winter and spring 2016 were a really a low point for me. But they were a turning point as well. And it hurt. But it was so good to turn toward the light, despite the pain and the adjustment that it took. And there were sharp pains, but it felt so good to finally feel the pain, to face it head on, and to begin to deal with it. In many days, it was just trying to put one foot in front of the other, day by day. It was showing up to my counseling sessions, every week, no matter what excuse I could come up with not to go. It was recognizing that fixes don't happen overnight. It was opening up to others, even when it hurt and it was hard and it was vulnerable. It was realizing that things take time. And God started responding and filling me in very clear and very tangible ways. People reached out and shared their own stories of pain, of need, of depression. I received prayer 
like super powerful prayers of encouragement and affirmation outside of church and right there in the prayer alcove. And as a side note, if you think God is speaking to you through our prayer team, there is a great chance that he is. And when you can't hear how God is trying to encourage you, listening and responding and having someone else pray for you can really speak encouragement and life into those spaces that you yourself sometimes can't see or hear. Trust me. Speaking from experience here. So I started to go deeper. I started to grow. I started to feel filled. I really enjoyed how one blogger wrote this sentiment. She says, The more I opened my heart to the folks in my circles, the more convinced I became that life is equal parts brutal and beautiful. It's brutal. <laughs> like stars in a dark sky, sharing life's brutal is what makes us feel less alone and less afraid. The truth can't be stuffed down with food or booze or exercise or work or cutting or shopping. Hiding from the truth causes its own unique pain, and it is a lonely pain. Life is hard, not because we're doing it wrong, but just because it's hard. So this is what I wrote in a journal entry in December as I was reflecting on my journey last year and when I had just found out I was going to share with you guys this morning. So give me a little grace. It's a little vulnerable, and it's not really edited. So this was what I wrote in December. I just accepted the opportunity to preach in January. How timely. I've been craving to share my story, and January feels right on schedule. Thanks, God. I felt bathed in God's presence at church yesterday. I didn't want to be anywhere else. I just wanted to stay in that moment. I felt so thankful I was moved to tears. God is faithful. God is good. Even when life totally blows, God shows up. He is faithful. I listened to another sermon, and again, I just felt the warmth and love of God's presence. God is good. It brings up a deep joy I never recognized before. I feel loved. I feel home. I feel known. Praise the freaking Lord. What an absolute joy to finally feel that, to finally feel me. It has taken so long, but it is right on schedule. Thank you, God. I feel like you've brought me to a new place, and not without struggle, and not without blood, sweat, and tears, but we've made it this far and together. Wow, I didn't think it was possible. Thank you. I know it won't always be like this, but I recognize today that you give good things, that you love to shower love on us, that though life is hard, it is worth it, that though we traverse some mountains and travel through some crazy and horrible valleys, you are there and you walk with us, but you also walk with us in the meadows after the valley, that you crest the summit with us and we share the sunlight on our faces together after a long and dark night. I am so glad we're here together. Thank you. So what I conclude here is that God responds to us when we reach out and ask to be filled, no matter when we reach out. And unfortunately, we often don't reach out until everything is crap. When we've extinguished all of our other options, then we ask God. And that doesn't have to be that way, by the way, but that's how we operate so often. And no matter when we reach out, God does respond. It may be subtle or it may be in your face, but in my experience with God over the last year, he was listening very closely, and he filled me. God responds. My final point relates to the idea that this hunger and thirst and our need for God to fill us is an ongoing process. Being filled by God is an ongoing process. 
Later in Acts 16, Paul and Silas return to Lydia's home after being imprisoned. And it's in Lydia's home where they provide encouragement to Lydia, her household, and all of the believers in Philippi. Being encouraged in our faith, recognizing our thirst for more of God, more righteousness, it's not a one-time event. It is an ongoing hunger, craving, need for more of God because you finally recognize your desperate need to be filled. This is an ongoing, necessary fill process whereby we need to be connected to the source to be filled. I think the concept of the kingdom of God being the here and the not yet really captures this. That we get the here moments, the tastes of the kingdom of God that Jesus promises, but it's not fully realized, that not yet, because we still live in a broken world that still needs to be redeemed by God. We taste the kingdom in the here and now, but we're not satisfied because the kingdom is not fully here. We will thirst and be filled, and then we will thirst again. And this thirst is what is propelling us forward and infecting those around us. Matthew 5, 6 doesn't say blessed are those who have thirsted, but those who thirst. We must continue to thirst and recognize our craving for God, for his identity and truth about our lives, and we will be filled and be able to pour out on others that which we've received. Doesn't that sound great? To be filled, like truly filled by God and then get to share it with others, only to go back to the source, an unlimited source, and be refilled to do it again. That's what gives us patience to deal with other imperfect humans like ourselves. Love those who we consider unlovable. Experience joy in times of sorrow. Peace in times of upheaval. And we're not the source. My marriage, my daughter, my job, my family, my friends, they don't have to fill me anymore. I can be filled and refilled and refilled again and allow that to pour out of me and splash those around me and not feel empty or depleted or wasting away. And when I do feel those things, I get to reconnect to that basis feeling within my soul that I need God, that I was built for him, and that I can allow him to fill me again. Transformation for me has been gradual and glacial in many ways, small movements over a long time. And there is really no one event, but many moments of God's true faithfulness in my life. And it took me until a year or so ago where I finally recognized that deep hunger and longing to just be in God's presence. These days, I don't even like to miss church. When I get here, I don't want to leave. I want worship to last forever because I finally feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. I feel filled, I feel satiated, I feel overwhelmed with everything I've been craving, overcome by emotion, because I get a small human taste of the kingdom of God, what I was created and made to respond to. So here's my advice to each of us, including myself. Keep showing up and be willing to go deeper. Ask to be filled. Recognize your need to be filled. Ask for prayer. How do you fill empty space? What do you notice about yourself when you're frazzled, you're alone, or feeling sad or depressed? Do you feel longing and emptiness? Or do you never acknowledge it? Do you fill that place with something else, maybe someone else, to drown out your thoughts? You take out your phone, open Facebook, watch Netflix. Hey, I do it too. But it is there. And at some point, recognize it and just sit with it. Be okay with it. Know that you do not have and you will never have what it takes to satisfy it. And that's okay. 
That's how we're built. We are built for Jesus, built for him to fill us, overwhelm us, and overflow through us. Glennon Doyle Melton, one of my favorite mommy bloggers, writes in her book, Carry On Warrior, the following. The problem with the faith pool these days is that all the noise is coming from the shallow end. I waded into the deep end, and that has made all the difference. It's easy to spend time in the shallow end of faith. It's not a real commitment. You can just hop in, stand around in tight circles, and people watch. You can examine your nails, read, reread, and catch up on all the gossip. You can talk and talk and talk and come to a great many conclusions and decisions and still maintain your hairstyle and even avoid smudging your makeup. This is important because you never know when someone will pull out a camera. You can spend an entire comfortable life there, really, just standing around being heard. You never even have to learn to swim in the shallow end. Good times. I think the reason we don't hear from the people in the deep end as often is because they're actually swimming. In the deep end, you have to keep moving. It's hard to look cool. It's tiring and scary even since it's just you and your head and your heart in the silence of the depths. There's not much chatting or safety in numbers in the deep end, and you have to spend most of your time there alone. And it's impossible to get any solid footing. You just have to trust that the water will hold you, and you have no other choice but to flail about and gasp for air and get soaking wet head to toe. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Got to be willing to jump in the deep end, folks. We've got to be willing to learn how to swim, struggle against some currents, get not just our feet wet, but our hands and our hearts and our heads, be filled and immersed in it, and we have to let the water hold us. Thank God the verse doesn't say, blessed are those who are righteous. Man, I would have been out of luck a long time ago because I have grown more irreverent and way less self-righteous as I've gotten older. But I have grown more authentic and honest about my absolute need for something, someone outside of myself that has relieved my need to manufacture those things that will fill me. Praise God. Let's get in the deep end together. So my last story today is about the impact of being filled by God in that place that no one else could fill and being impacted in such a way that there was no way I could stay in a room with my counselor. When I started counseling, I went because of my job and the anxiety and depression I was experiencing in my day-to-day life. But I knew the moment I picked up the phone to make that first appointment that there were far deeper things that needed to be addressed and to be dealt with. And soon into counseling, the depths of me started to come out. My therapist wisely told me that counseling is rarely ever about the problem that presents at the first meeting. And she was right, as usual. Soon into our sessions, I began to share pain that I had experienced back when I was 13 and 14 years old that had never been addressed and that had impacted my family and my life all the way up to, well, today. We tiptoed around it for a while and then we dug in some and it was hard and painful and super uncomfortable. But slowly I felt a burden lifting. One day I physically felt like something had slipped off my back and released in my body. It was like a morning, like Brad had talked about last week, but it was the path of morning and not the destination. 
And this particular pain didn't just affect me. It impacted my whole family when I was a teenager, and it has infected our family ever since. And in my dreams and aspirations for a perfect version of how I wanted things to be, I envisioned that my family could have a conversation about these wounds that we had never actually really had when it all happened. But even the thought of that really happening in real life shut me down. My counselor told me she could physically see a change in my physical demeanor when we brought up the idea about talking about this with my family. And she was right. It paralyzed me. So we kept working through it, kept feeling the pain of it, kept recognizing the reality that pain not dealt with is still there. Below the surface and revisiting it is like ripping a scab off a very deep wound that never healed just right. And we slowly returned to the subject of a talk with my family. And I started by saying that I would chat with the members of my family that felt like allies to me to kind of get a pulse on the family. So there was one conversation with one sibling and then another. I have five siblings, so I had a couple options. And then I felt convicted one day after church to just let my parents in on it. And man, did that bomb. <laughs> like, really bomb. It was brutal. It was raw. It was a big mess. But then we talked again, and again, and again, and eventually we found a productive place. So that far in, I decided to keep going, and I chatted with each of my siblings, and I'd asked each of them if they would be willing to discuss this as a family, as something I needed to do, but I also needed their okay. And they all agreed. So the Friday after this past Thanksgiving, we all sat down together, my parents, my five siblings and their spouses, and John and I. And I almost literally had a panic attack and left. But instead, I sat down, I showed up, and I told them about the wounds and feelings that I had been holding on to for 18 years. I looked them in the eyes when I could. I cried. I let them in my, on my pain, and I admitted that they had disappointed me and that I had never felt more alone. But I also told them that I loved them and that I felt like if we, I could tell them this and we could walk through it, then better things were in front of us to be shared and carried together. I spoke for close to an hour and then I stopped as I had said what I wanted to say. And I said, I don't want this to be the conversation. I just want it to be the beginning of a conversation. And if you want to stand up and walk out of here without saying another word, I'm okay with that. And I was. So I just stopped, and I stayed quiet, and it was silent, like forever silent. <laughs> and then my sister-in-law finally spoke up, and she said, thank you. You are courageous and brave, and we love you. And then for two hours, people spoke up. They shared hurts and pains, and they asked for forgiveness from one another. And it was freaking beautiful. But man, there were some doozies, some truth bombs, and there were a lot of tears. It was one of the most difficult things I have ever done in my entire life, but it was one of the moments that I am most proud of. I am courageous. I am brave. I am authentic, and in that moment, I was me, and that's what I was built for seeking for righteousness in the purest sense, for right relationships with some of the people closest to me in my life in a very, very vulnerable and honest way. 
So I share this story with you because I don't think I ever could have gotten to this place without recognizing my inability to fill myself with those things I had collected over my life. People, love, experiences, a career. And realizing the truth for my life that I long for something and what I long for is righteousness. Things being set right in the world between me and God and me and others, me and humanity. And that God is willing to respond and fill that space. I only have to recognize it. I didn't have to have that conversation with my family, but things are a bit more right in my world, because I did. Like I quoted before, life is hard, not because we're doing it wrong, just because it's hard. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you will be filled. Recognize that craving, that longing inside of you, and recognize that there is nothing, no one who can fill it but God. And that is the beautiful and brutal truth. You get to be the most you that you can be when God fills that place, even in the darkest, grossest, nastiest, painful parts of your life. And he can redeem and bring light to those dark places and bring you to a more full, authentic reality, the place you've been craving to be the entire time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's pray. God, I recognize my longing for righteousness and my inability to get there without you. Fill us, God. Respond to us. Thank you that you love us and that you are faithful and that you are good. Amen.